Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. welcome back happy holiday week if you celebrate christmas or hanukkah or any of the other holidays that are happening right now um i think we're just gonna dive right into this case sounds good so today we are going to be talking about the van brida family axe murders that took place in south africa in 2015 oh my gosh that sounds very intense (laughs) yeah And this was suggested by one of our listeners, so thank you for the suggestion. I had never heard of this case, and um, it might be a little bit of a shorter one because there's not a ton of details. Like, there are, but there aren't. You'll kind of see because it was kind of shut and open and shut, but, like, not really. So you'll see, but, um, but it's still a crazy story that I thought needed to be told. Awesome. Is it... Did you say it happened around Christmas or did I just make that up? <laughs> no, it happened okay. in January. Okay. Well, close enough. <laughs> yeah, close enough. At 7 o'clock a.m. on January 27th, 2015, Han- Henry Van Breda called emergency services saying, quote, my family and me were attacked by a guy with an axe. Oh, my gosh. This phone call lasted 25 minutes, but I'm going to play some pieces of it for you guys so you can kind of hear more of what he said okay yeah i need an ambulance lots of um you need an please. ambulance yes please what's your name sir uh, henry from Bredar. henry what's the yes. contact number you're phoning from um my home phone number but um i'm not sure what the home phone number is my cell phone uh, we're at 12 Huska street please who else is in the house there's no one else uh, there's i one need else the is. contact number please yeah okay yeah, can you please just send an ambulance or more than one ambulance to Desultsa Wineland in Sevenbosch? Desultsa? Yeah, can you find that please? What? And you the patient? No, no, my family is someone attacked my family. Hey? Someone has attacked my family in my house. Okay, so you need the police or the well, ambulance? And an ambulance please, yeah. Now who is um, injured? My, I think everyone. Everyone in your house? Everyone, four people, yes. Adults, two adults? Two adults and two, well, three adults and one teenage girl, yes. What are the injuries? Um, head injuries, I'd look... Are they conscious? I I don't think so, my sister's moving, but that's it. Are there any suspects on scene? Uh, No, no, they ran away. With what were they attacked? I um an an axe. I, it it was I I I think I blacked out and I've just woken up. 
Okay, stay on the line. I'm going to speak to the police. Thank you, but please send an ambulance as quickly as possible. Yes. Are you the only one that's conscious? You know, yes. the others are unconscious. Hold yes. I'm going to speak to police. When authorities arrived at the family's home in Stellenbosch, South Africa, they found one of the most horrific scenes that they had ever seen. Uh-oh. One of the first paramedics on the scene, Christian Kogelenberg, I think. I probably totally butchered that, but <laughs> that was my best attempt. But he later said that it was the worst thing he'd seen in his 39-year career, explaining, oh quote, blood ran like a waterfall down the stairs. Oh, my God. That's horrifying. Yeah. On the second floor of the house, laying in pools of blood, were 54-year-old Martin, 55-year-old Teresa, and not too far away was the body of 22-year-old Rudy. Mm. There were two survivors, though, 20-year-old Henry and 16-year-old Marley. Henry had some minor cuts but was not seriously injured, but Marley, on the other hand, sustained serious head injuries and was rushed to the hospital in critical condition. That's interesting. Yeah. So thankfully, through years of extensive surgeries and medical treatments, Marley did live, and she ended up suffering from retrograde amnesia, so she couldn't remember the day of the attack. Oh, no. So she didn't remember anything from it, but she did survive, um, thankfully. And she, you know, by all accounts, is doing well now. Okay. So at the scene, police found the murder weapons. There was a knife and an axe, and these both belonged to the family. They came from the home. They found no sign of forced entry. And we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but there was no sign of anything having been stolen or anything like that. Okay. Henry told police that he did not know who attacked them and had no clue why anyone would attack his family. Henry and Marley were sent to stay with different family members' homes after the murders, and Marley was, you know, going through therapy, medical treatments, surgeries, and Henry was being treated for epilepsy and depression. Mm. And while in some parts of South Africa, the crime rate was high in this time period— This was a complete shock to the community. The Van Breda family was well-loved. They were initially from South Africa, with Martin and Teresa both coming from wealthy, well-established families. They actually moved to Australia, where they lived for eight years, where the kids attended school. Henry had studied physics at Melbourne University, and Marley and Rudy attended top schools in Australia. Nice. Rudy had recently graduated from Trini- from Melbourne- Melbourne's Trinity College, and at the time that he was killed, he was studying to get a Master's of Engineering at the University of Melbourne. The family had moved back to South Africa in 2014, so not long before the murders, and Rudy and Henry remained in Australia to continue their studies. Okay. And when they moved back, Martin, Teresa, and Marley moved into a community that was extremely high security. So it was a gated community. There were CCTV cameras everywhere, thermal cameras, and they had a 24-hour patrol. Okay, so this perpetrator got past all that? Yeah. Interesting. This was 
known as one of the safest communities in the country, but this still happened. Wow. Now, obviously, there was a lot of suspicion, and it didn't take long for suspicion around Henry to start to rise. Yeah, my suspicion for Henry was starting to rise, too. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, Henry. The main question (laughs) was, why did he have so few injuries when the rest of his family was so brutally attacked? Yeah. So that's when investigators started to develop the theory that he had committed the attack, then tampered with the crime scene and inflicted injuries on himself. Mm-hmm. So the night of January 26th, Henry and Rudy were home from university in Australia, and they had a nice family evening, had dinner before everyone went to bed by midnight. It's estimated that the family was attacked around 2.30 to 4.30 that morning. And then court records show that Henry called his girlfriend at 4.42 that morning, Hmm. but she didn't pick up. Okay. And then he didn't call emergency services until over two hours later at 7 a.m. So his family was brutally murdered. He didn't hear it, called his girlfriend, and then found them at around 7 Mm a.m. And we'll go through his story when we get to the court case and, like, what he said happened that day. Okay. And he has, like, a whole explanation for all of this. Sure. I'm sure he does. (laughs) But the biggest question for investigators was what was his motive? He continued to deny having any involvement in the murders, but media, of course, and investigators started to speculate about what his motive may have been. So some of the speculations included that his allowance had been cut off by his parents and he was in need of money to pay for drugs. Okay. So media outlet The Times actually tracked down a man who claimed to be Henry's drug dealer. And this man identified Henry from like photos and said that he was a regular customer and that he owed money. Oh, all right. So that was kind of the only motive that they had, and it took about a year and a half for police to build a case against Henry. But finally, on June 13th, 2016, he was arrested. And he actually turned himself in because police informed his lawyer that he was going to be arrested, so he chose to go and turn himself in. Okay. The next day, Henry appeared at the magistrate court, and he was facing three charges of murder— a charge of attempted murder, and a charge of defeating the ends of justice, which is basically obstruction of justice. Okay. His bail was set at 100,000 South African Rand, which is just over 6,000 U.S. dollars today. So not very high in the U.S., but, you know. (laughs) He actually was able to post bail and was released under the condition that he wouldn't leave Western Cape, and that he reported to his local police station regularly. Okay. But he was released. It's pretty wild. Yeah. (laughs) Murder charges, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not a big deal. In September 2016, Henry's pretrial hearing began at the Western Cape High Court, but it was then postponed as the state prosecutor asked for more time to gather evidence. In the meantime, on September 6th, Henry and his girlfriend were both arrested for possession of cannabis. And he was once again granted bail. 
<laughs> wow. I mean, privilege, man. Predominant, you know, wealthy family. It's kind of not surprising. I mean, yeah, it is what it is, you know. And honestly, I'm shocked that he didn't run, but he didn't. He stayed in the area. Well, I guess he thought he had a good chance to, you know. Yeah. Plead innocent. Or not plead innocent, but be innocent, whatever. Yeah. And he he was convinced that his story was going to work because that's what (laughs) he told. Yeah. So finally, on April 4th, 2017, over two years after the murders, the trial against Henry began. He did plead not guilty, and he continued to deny having any involvement in the crimes. Okay. So he claimed that his, him and his family were attacked by a, quote, axe-wielding man wearing dark clothes, gloves, and a balaclava-type mask, which is basically like a ski mask. Okay. So he claimed that he had been in the bathroom when he heard his brother being attacked. And he claimed he went into the room and screamed out, which is when his father came in and was attacked. Hmm. Henry claimed that he was frozen with fear while all of this was happening, and his mother and sister were then attacked, after which the intruder tried to attack him. So he said he was finally able to, like, break out of his, you know, fear. And he and the attacker had a struggle And this is the guy with the axe that just murdered four people. Right. Henry said that the attacker then pulled out a knife, stabbed him with it, and then fled. Hmm. Why? (laughs) Yeah. Don't know. Why wouldn't you just use the axe that's in your hand after you just attacked everyone? Yeah. Where was the axe in all this? Because if he's holding the axe, does he have a third hand for the knife? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Henry said that he next called his then 16-year-old girlfriend for help, but she didn't pick up, and then he ended up passing out unconscious. Okay. So he says that's why he didn't call emergency services for over two hours, because he was passed out. That's the only part of his story that is kind of believable. (laughs) Yeah. And he had epilepsy, so, like, he could have had a seizure and passed out. Yeah. That's, Um, That's fair. But it was like, why did he call the girlfriend first? Okay, exactly. Again, we don't always know what we would do in a situation like that. True. But come on. Yeah, that's probably not, I mean, not what most people would do. Yeah. <laughs> if they were injured. Yeah, exactly. So that was his story. But the prosecution was able to set forth a completely different story. They said that Henry was angry at his family and was hoping to inherit his father's multi-million dollar estate. Wow. As I mentioned, both of his parents came from wealthy families and his father was very successful. So they had a lot of money and the prosecution was basically going off of that he wanted the money. Yeah. So they believe that Henry was awake that night plotting, and then in the early morning hours, he grabbed the family's axe and began the attack. It is believed from evidence that Rudy was attacked first in his bed, followed by Martin, Teresa, and Marley. Mm, That's awful. Yeah. Henry then started messing with the crime scene to throw off the police, And then he grabbed a knife and stabbed himself to make it look like he had been attacked. Yeah. But his cuts were all very superficial. 
very different from the intense injuries that Marley had. It's always so funny when I hear that in cases because it's like, that's like rule, what, rule number one of horror movies? Like, when you're the, like, scream, when you're the bad guy, stab yourself, and then everyone will think that you're a victim, too. But it never looks real, so it's, like, super obvious. They're like, you're you're the killer. (laughs) And his were, like, very obviously self-inflicted and a forensic pathologist who analyzed his injuries said that they barely broke the skin (laughs) and they were all uniform so it was like all the exact same which wouldn't happen in an attack no not at all not at all and she also pointed out that there were no injuries consistent with a struggle like bruising to the forearms that would happen Mm. if you were like fighting with someone so there was just no indication whatsoever that he was actually attacked So he very poorly planned that out. Yeah. The prosecutor also explained how the blood from Henry's injuries were consistent with him being upright. Whereas if he would have passed out on the floor, the blood would have followed like a different pattern. Yeah. But it was like as if he was still upright after he was injured. Yeah. They pointed out how on both the 911 call and at the hospital, Henry was extremely calm, especially for somebody who had just been attacked by an intruder with an axe who had Mm -hmm. killed his whole family. Right. And then the icing on the case was the blood spatter analysis. Mm. So the blood spatter from the house and Henry's clothes pointed directly to him being the attacker. So they explained that there was no possible way that the blood splatter on his clothes could be explained by how Henry said that he stood and, like, watched in fear while the attacks were happening. Too, like, too close proximity, probably. Yeah. 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 And they said that there was no blood splatter behind where he claimed to have been standing. Yeah. Or, like, around that area. So it wouldn't even make sense that he was standing there so the prosecution had this whole story they had circumstantial and physical evidence but you know some of this is kind of like blood spatter analysis yes it's accurate but you also have to like believe it to be true you know like yeah most most common people don't know if it's true you just believe the expert right and you have to get it down to a perfect science, and there's just no way to really do that because you don't know exactly how the person was standing or where they yeah. were standing. You just kind of have to put the puzzle pieces together, but they're not like yeah. it's not a full puzzle, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there was still some chance that Henry would not be convicted of this because they didn't have any like physical you know they weren't able to say like oh his dna was on the axe because it was the family's axe and stuff like that it was also clearly not a robbery as i mentioned there was no sign of break-in or forced entry and there were several valuables that were all left on the main floor of the house Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. So this trial lasted over a year. Wow. On May 21st, 2018, Judge Siraj Desai came back with the decision. He found Henry guilty on all counts. Dang. On June 7th, he was sentenced to three life sentences for the murders, 15 years for the attempted murder, and 12 months for obstruction of justice. Wow. He was initially serving his sentence at the Drakenstein Correctional Center in the Western Cape of South Africa. But in June of this year, actually, 2022, he was moved to another facility after an attack in a prison, in the prison, allegedly by a gang member. Oh, so he got attacked. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Some reports, there were some reports about, like, what allegedly happened, but... The correction department came out and basically said he had requested in September of last year for a transfer. And so that's why he was transferred. You know, they're not going to say like it's because he was attacked. Um, But I did read that the facility he was originally in is known for prisoners escaping because it was like a minimum security prison. Whereas I think this other one isn't quite as notorious for that. So (laughs) I guess that's good. Interesting. Yeah. Of course, Henry tried to appeal the decision, but it was rejected by all courts and went all the way up to the Supreme Court of Appeal, which is the highest appellate court in South Africa, and they rejected his appeal. Excellent. Now, interestingly, Henry's girlfriend, Daniela Henson Van Rensburg, still believes to this day that he is innocent. I mean, why why would she have any other reason not to to think that you know yeah she said quote anyone who spends a day with him will realize he couldn't do such a thing i believe in his innocence 100 percent she explained that he gets emotional when he talks about his family and she continues to believe that there is no way that henry could have committed these murders just because it gets emotional doesn't mean that he's not guilty because people can have remorse you know you can act in the heat of the moment or you can think something will be a good idea and then after the fact be like regretful about it yeah yeah so that's not really proving anything no it was super interesting she was in an episode of 60 minutes australia where they covered this case and she was asked what about the inconsistencies in his story and she said that He had a seizure that led him to pass out, you know, hence why he didn't call emergency services right away. Right. And that impaired his memory of what happened. So that explains the inconsistencies. She was asked, did you ever ask him? Did he do it? And she was like, no, I didn't. I don't need to. I know he didn't. His injuries, man, like that's what I can't get past because. Yeah. Like you said, the the pattern was the same and it's all consistent with self-inflicted injuries so Mm -hmm. what are you gonna say to that i mean the proof is in the pudding sweetheart (laughs) yeah exactly between the injuries and the blood spatter analysis like that's come on but she 
still Stand by her man. His innocence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he actually has an aunt who is his mom's sister who also believes his innocence still. I mean, I get it. I get it. I mean, who's to say if he was my family member, I wouldn't believe him too, you know? Yeah. Especially yeah, if he had true. no history of violence or, you know, aggression yeah, I don't think he really or did. any of those issues. I mean, it literally could have just been a snap, like just in mm-hmm. the heat of the moment, you know? Yeah, and, like, the motive was probably money, but it also isn't, like, a super clear motive. So it's kind of hard to believe that somebody would just do it just because. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he had his reasons, and, I mean, it could have been something as simple as, like, somebody embarrassed him at dinner, or yeah, he didn't get to go somewhere with his friends that he wanted to go. I mean, how old is he? Yeah, it could have been anything. 20. I know, it's 20. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. 20 year old men lots of hormones there so there's no there's no telling yeah and a lot of people have said somebody who did this had to be psychotic but a lot of men in their 20s start suffering with mental illness and so you never know like and he did suffer with depression right yeah Yeah, because he was treated for after the fact yeah but the true motive behind the murders is still unknown hmm Paul Frenny, a family friend, described Henry as, quote, the quiet one who was well-mannered. It's always the quiet ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Paul says that he can't understand why Henry would do this, but while it's hard to believe, he was proven to be the killer and needs to be punished for what he did. The Van Bredas are described as being a strong, tight-knit family. The family is remembered fondly as loving, kind, friendly people. Thankfully, by all accounts, Marley is doing well. She's kept her life pretty private since the attacks, and she had a public Instagram for a little while where she posted tributes to her mom, dad, and brother, but it's now private, and her Instagram bio reads, loving all of life. And I guess she never regained any memories from that night. Probably for the best. Nope, she has no memory. Yeah, but it was they explained how it was like very traumatizing, obviously, when her brother was arrested, because now do you not lose your your mom, your sister or your mom, your dad and one brother. But your only surviving family member is the one that did it. And you're now losing him, too. So but she did get to live with, I believe, an aunt and an uncle. And it seems like she's doing well. She would be let's see. She was 16 at the time of the attack seven years ago. So she'd be 23 now. So seems like she's doing well that's good but that is the story of the van breda family axe murders and it's just so horrific that you know he did this it was so senseless yeah and it also kind of scares me that there's still people who believe his innocence but again yes there's solid evidence that we can see but that evidence isn't as solid as like a dna match or something like that right you know there's other physical evidence that could be more solid so you could probably talk yourself into not believing the blood splatter and his injuries and that type of stuff so do you feel like he could be rehabilitated do you feel like this was a one-off thing since it was a familicide Honestly, I don't because of the way he's still denying it. Yeah. Like, I think if he accepted it and said, I snapped and I had a mental break or whatever, then maybe. But he's still denying it and saying he didn't do it. And so I I don't think 
he could be rehabilitated at this point. So he will spend the rest of his life in prison, and Martin, Teresa, and Rudy are remembered fondly, and everybody, you know, is always hoping that Marley is doing well. Yeah. But that's all I have for you guys today. Again, I know it was kind of a shorter one, but I thought it was a story that needed to be told. And yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you on Thursday with a brand new episode. And until then, keep it human. Bye.